The Honorable, the Judges of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. Oyez, oyez, oyez. All persons have in any manner formed of business for the Honorable, the Judges of the United States Court of Appeals are admonished to give their attention. For the Court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. Good morning. We have a panel of three judges, Judge Wynn, Judge Floyd, and myself. And we have, who do we have, Mr. Corrigan and Mr. Block? Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. It's good to see you this morning. This is unusual conditions, but we're seeming to get this practice down. Maybe we just conduct oral arguments for the rest of the time this way, although I much prefer to see you in court. But anyway, why don't we begin with the first case, Grimm v. Gloucester County. And Mr. Corrigan, we'll hear from you first. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the Court. My name is David Corrigan. I represent the Gloucester County School Board. The Gloucester County School Board and school personnel always treated Gavin Grimm with respect. From the beginning, the school administration and personnel accommodated Grimm's request that he be called by his new name and using male pronouns. The only exception was a restroom policy that applied to the entire school system of children in grades kindergarten through 12, ages 6 through 19. In 2015, Grimm filed a lawsuit alleging violation of Title IX equal protection rights because as a female whose self-proclaimed gender identity was male, he was not allowed to use the boys' restroom at his high school. We find ourselves back before this court after the district court granted Grimm's summary judgment motion and denied the school board's summary judgment motion. And we're asking this court to reverse that decision, remand the case, telling the district court to enter final judgment in favor of the school board. The underlying legal issues are the same as the past, with an added issue concerning whether there's a justiciable controversy. I'll start there with the mootness question. Grimm's claims regarding the restroom policy are moot. At this stage, Grimm is claiming only nominal damages for past violation of his Title IX and equal protection rights. Let me ask you, Mr. Corrigan. Yes, sir. Isn't there a Supreme Court precedent that suggests that a claim for nominal damages is a viable claim, a live claim that can be asserted, especially when coupled with a declaratory judgment? Your Honor, our position on that is that that occurs in situations where compensatory damages are sought but not awarded. Compensatory damages make the controversy justiciable, and then when they're not awarded, a nominal damage is an appropriate award. And we're relying on that Flanagan's Enterprises case from the 11th Circuit, which makes that distinction that in order to have a live controversy, you can't just have nominal damages. Let me ask you this. In order to prove his constitutional claim, he would have to have some type of damage, and as Niemeyer pointed out, it would likely be a nominal damage claim. That happens in civil rights cases all over the country. Yes, sir. Is that not correct? Well, our position, again, is that relying on this Flanagan's Enterprises analysis, that if you have a compensatory award requested, but you only get nominal damages, that that would be a justiciable controversy. But when you only seek the nominal damages, that that's not a justiciable controversy. As they said, nominal damages are not themselves an independent basis for jurisdiction. So they were asking for an advisory opinion. Did the plaintiff request compensatory damages? Originally, back in 2015, yes. They then dismissed the case 
And when they brought it back after he had graduated from high school, they sought only nominal damages. So they, 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 he graduated high school in June of 17. They filed their first amended complaint in August of 17 and sought only nominal damages. So this is after the fact. So and we honestly, we think that the reason was that they didn't want to get into the discovery related to compensatory damages. So they sought only the nominal damages, which is why we think that this is a situation where applying a rule that that is a moot claim would be appropriate. But they also have a claim to force the school district to change its records because it impacts its application to college. Uh, so where's he going to where's he going to litigate that except here? That I don't. I am not arguing that the transcript issue is moot. I am arguing that the application of the restroom policy is moot. Well, it seems to me uh, one hangs on the other, doesn't it? In other words, the change of records re flows only if there was a violation of Title IX or the Equal Protection Clause, doesn't it? Correct. And I guess what I'm saying is that they're apparently attempting to assert a separate claim for violation of Title IX Equal Protection Claim based solely on the transcript issue. And that, well, we think that's not a viable claim. We don't think that is a moot claim because it, it, it is, as, as has been pointed out, not uh, based on the restroom policy alone. Well, we, we all are aware that the Harris decision is going to come down in a few weeks. Do you agree that regardless of which way it goes, uh, the outcome of the Harris case with regard to Title VII would determine the outcome as to the Title IX claim in this case? I think so. I mean, we, we've tried to look at it every possible way, and, and even looking at the arguments in the Supreme Court, uh, it is apparent that what they're trying to decide is on the basis of sex, and what's the definition of sex. And our case, our position is that's a binary concept that you have males and, and females, and in that case, they, they were discussing in the oral argument the distinction. If, if that's the case, then the employer wins. If that's not the case, then you have a different you have a different discussion. The school board policy does not discriminate against Grimm on the basis of sex. In order for Grimm to succeed on his claims, this court must find that his declaration that he changed his gender identity from female to male entitles him to be treated in all respects as a boy. The evidence, however, is that Grimm was not a boy. Despite chest reconstruction surgery and hormone therapy, he remained anatomically a female. Importantly, rather than retaining or identifying an expert to prove his sex change, Grimm relied solely on Dr. Melinda Penn, an endocrinologist, who admits chest reconstruction, reconstruction surgery is only a physical change, not a sex change. Dr. Penn never diagnosed Grimm with gender dysphoria and never prescribed trends social transitioning care, or any other modality. Further, the standards of care of WPATH and these other professional organizations do not address transgender student use of restrooms at all. In fact, Grimm's expert testified that what helps one transgender individual deal with gender dysphoria might be different from what helps another transgender person. In other words, and, and in, at the time this case was, uh, the facts were being created, there was actually an ACLU uh, position paper that said that providing a third option, 
single-stall restrooms was a viable option to address concerns of transgender individuals using restrooms. No expert. How does the analysis go uh, under a discrimination claim in this context? It seems to me uh, you need some form of comparator. Uh, Is he treated differently than other transgender persons? Or is he treated differently than boys? Or is he treated differently than girls? In other words, uh, how do you suppose the analysis goes? And I'll ask your colleague that, too, when he he can think about that. Our our analysis is that it's binary, is that there are physiological males and physiological females. Well, I understand that, but let's assume that uh, they're adding uh, a third category. Uh, I remember Justice Roberts, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, suggesting that the analysis uh, is probably impossible under the statute to add a third category because you don't know how to conduct the analysis. It, it, that's exactly right. That's our position. It, is it, with, with two categories, you know how to conduct the analysis. You're either being tra- treated the same as other females or you're being treated the same or differently than other males. And our position is that this individual, Gavin Grimm, because the physiological sex had not changed, was tr- to be treated in, with the, the, the similarly situated individuals would be females, not males. So that, that's our analysis. The school board policy does not even consider sex stereotypes. Therefore, the line of cases relying on Price Waterhouse versus Hopkins is not applicable. This is where the court, the trial court, rested her decision. The school board policy is not based on behavior or appearance or stereotypes. In fact, it's the opposite. All physiological females, no matter how feminine or masculine, can use the girls' restroom or the single stall. It's so, the same so for the male. I want to ask the question regarding the follow-up where we're going in terms of your characterization of how this case should be analyzed, Judge. Nehemiah posits about a third type of uh, classification, maybe fourth classification. But when we look at this case here, you have these standards that uh, have been set by the WPATH, uh, which the Supreme Court either said something or didn't say something on the Ninth Circuit case recently about it by just not touching it, but we'll leave that alone for right now. But they set forth those standards, and they say that transitioning is an appropriate treatment. So what do you do when the transition occurs, and uh, does that allow them to use a different facility then once you have transition? Well, I would point out two things. One, the WPATH standards... It's based on what we've reviewed. Nowhere does it say what restroom someone should use. Nowhere does it give guidance no, but that's on which restroom. I, that's not the question. It's not a question. Of, you know, let's start. Let's not jump there too quickly. The, the question is, it, it, it makes appropriate certain treatments uh, that can be used, and transition is one. That's the first step. Then once we determine the treatment has occurred and transition has occurred, it's not a question for WPATH to tell you where to go. It's a question, does this person who's now transitioned go to a different restaurant? Our position is that we, we fully supported. I'm getting feedback. I'm sorry. Uh, we fully supported Gavin Grimm. 
with respect to his transition. His name was Jane. Just, just a minute, Mr. Uh, can we have everybody mute until you talk? Uh, uh, mute your mic because there is some feedback going on. Uh, there's that button on top of the thing. So go ahead. We, our position is that the school, the school board, and the school administration, and everybody associated with the schools supported the transition of Gavin Grimm. They changed his name. They uh, called him by his pronouns and his testimony on, on his own uh, behalf that he was treated well and fairly by the staff and, the, and the, the people there. So that part was done. The sole issue is the restroom. There's no other issue. And the restroom policy, there is nothing from WPATH that says, and you must allow transgender individuals to use the restroom of their choice. That is not. So let, me, let me understand that. If a full transition occurs, uh, let's reverse it. Uh, you have a male who uh, has transitioned to female or, or vice versa. Uh, and once that occurs, you're saying they still must go to the original uh, assignment, even though they transition? Not under the Gloucester County plan because they're not forced to go back to the original assignment, they have available the third option, the single stall restrooms where, as, as an option, just like everyone else does. Anyone in the school can go where their physiological sex provides or the third option. But they can't go to the other two. Anyone cannot. The, right, the, uh, uh, a transitioning, a person transitioning from female to male or from male to female cannot go to the opposite the one that is consistent with their gender identity under this, this the school board's policy. That is correct. But it, so, so that how, person how can. Account, how do you account for the fact that Grimm appears to be non-binary here? He doesn't, he's not fully male, nor is he fully female, as I understand. Uh, that's correct, isn't it? Well, the, the, the situation is this. Let's start with uh, when this occurred in, in the fall of 2014. He shows up at school and says, I want to be identified as male. At that point in time, there's no physical change that he has undergone in the record or otherwise. He Then the school board comes out with this policy. He begins taking hormone treatments in December of his sophomore year. And that is true that since then he has, has taken undertaken hormone treatments and has had chest reconstruction surgery. But our position is that does not make him non-binary with respect to his physiological sex, and which we're identifying simply, as the superintendent said, as the genitalia. And as long as that's true, and that's still true today, then the school board's position is, for purposes of restroom use, that, that individual has the option of using the restroom consistent with their physiological sex or the available single-stall restroom. That's the position. So a person who has fully transitioned what, uh, what would the choice be? The choice would be either to go to the one for which he is fully transitioned or to go to the, to the alternate one. Is that correct or, or not? Right. Someone who has, in other words, if, if he takes that next step and he does fully transition, uh, now his genitalia conforms with it, uh, what choice would be for him then? I think I said, you know, however many years ago it was when I was in this court, and I'd say it again today, if someone has had genital surgery has had complete sex uh, reconstruction and change, I think they now can go to the restroom consistent with their genitals. I think that's what the policy 
provides. So the difference would be those who have not fully transitioned from your perspective. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That, that's the difference. And, you know, when we're dealing with six-year-olds to 19-year-olds, my understanding from this case and from the, what the experts have said in this case is you don't even have a chance to, uh, to have that surgery until your age of majority, which is 18. So it's a very minimal time, and that did not occur with Gavin Grimm. So, so you, you've, you've kind of established, at least for a class of individuals like Grimm, uh, what, what I guess what you would call a separate but equal bathroom, right? Well, it's not separate but equal because it's available to everyone. The, the single-stall restrooms are available to anyone, not, not just transgender individuals, but anybody who, for whatever reason, personal well, that's, that, uh, that's modesty. That's a policy statement, but as a matter of fact, no one is going to that restroom except Grimm. I mean, that's, I, that's a nice statement to make. That's like saying a black school is open to anybody and anyone would go to it, but you never had a white student to go to one of those schools uh, during the separate but equal. I actually went through to those schools. I know what I'm talking about on that. You, you could have, it could have happened because sometimes you wouldn't know whether or not they were black or white. It just never happened. And I think it, it's nice to say, yeah, anybody can go to it, but the fact of the matter is absolutely no one, unless you tell me otherwise, has ever gone to that restroom that you would know of, not, not openly. <laughs> the, the, the record is not clear that anyone ever used those restrooms. They were made available to everyone. We know that Grimm never used it because he chose not to ever go in that restroom. Why, why would you think he did not use it? His, his explanation was that he thought it was stigmatizing. And, and was it? I mean, in his mind, it certainly was. I, I don't, but, but I, I don't doubt, I don't doubt that, well, that he well, felt let's, that way. Let's, well, let's, let's talk about it. I mean, we're talking practicality here. He says he was stigmatized by it. You create a separate restroom only just for him. You otherwise would not have created for anyone except for the fact he's there. He's the only one that uses it, and it turns out no one goes there. Uh, and so if he goes, is it not a stigma? Well, I would argue that it's not a stigma, but I'm not arguing the legitimacy of his feeling that it is a stigma. No, they I, were made I, available I, I, for I, I any student. As a matter of fact, in, in, in terms of the facts, the, uh, you know, from a legal perspective, maybe it's not, but I'm, I'm, as a matter of fact, is it not a stigma to create a restroom for a particular individual based upon their uh, orientation or gender identity, and only that person is the person who would go to it and he choose, chooses not to go because this is since I'm the only one going, it's a stigma. You created it just for me. But again, it was not created just for him. It was a, this issue arose because of the his concerns and and the bath and the restroom policy. But when it was created, it was specifically said this is for any student to use. And you would have done this even if he didn't bring the, the claim you're saying. Even if he never brought this up, you were going to set that restroom up. That's what you're telling me. I, I am not saying that. I am saying you know because not, he... You know that's not true, is it? Correct. I mean, correct. I, I understand, as a matter of fact, that why you did it, but but the fact of the matter, you created it for him. That's that's pretty straight up. I mean, uh, you may have a good purpose it, out, that you could outline for it, but you created it for him. Right? To satisfy the situation here. It, it was definitely created to satisfy the situation, but I would that's disagree that it was only created for Gavin Grimm. 
I understand, and we can play with legal words, and I, I agree there's, there's something to support where you're going, but the fact of the matter, we're, we're talking reality, you only created that restroom just because of this situation, which is his particular situation. That's why he says it's a stigma. I think that's why he says it's a stigma, yes. All right, why don't we uh, pick this up again? <laughs> you have some rebuttal. And, Thank you. Uh, uh, Mr. Block, why don't we continue with you? Thank you, Your Honor. Joshua Block on behalf of Plaintiff Gavin Grimm. Gloucester County School Board passed a policy whose only purpose and only effect was to remove Gavin from the boys' restroom and place him in separate alternative facilities that no other student was required to use. The undisputed evidence showed that these separate facilities were not merely different, they were unequal for two independent reasons. The first is what uh, Judge Wynn alluded to, they were stigmatizing and humiliating. And what's key here is that Gavin's feelings of humiliation were objectively reasonable from the standpoint of a person in his position under all the circumstances. This isn't simply, you can't claim something is stigmatizing just because you feel like it. There's also an objective prong. And everything we know from the facts of this case, everything we know about what the medical amici have said, everything we know about the experience of transgender individuals, and everything we know about our public accommodations laws shows that it's stigmatizing to be excluded from the facilities that everyone else uses, especially when the cited reason for the exclusion is that the school board suspects other people will be uncomfortable with your mere presence there. That is inherently stigmatizing. The second independent reason why these separate facilities were unequal was that as a practical matter, they were inadequate and difficult to access. Now, either of those independent reasons would be a basis for affirming the, the district court. Um, I think that in order for it there to be a well, constitutional- Well, I'm not following that analysis too, too well. Um, uh, he, uh, during the course of events here, he had physical traits as a male and identifying traits as a female. And based on that, he has made an election to identify as, uh, to be treated as a male. But that combination is different from somebody who uh, is physically male and identifies as male. And it seems to me uh, we have to figure out how to conduct the analysis under Title IX. Your argument is that this discriminates, but I'd like to hear how you conduct the discrimination analysis under Title IX. Uh, yes, Your Honor, I'd be happy to answer under Title IX. I just want to flag there's also an equal protection claim. I where, understand that, uh, but let, so, let's stick with my question right now. And we'll sure. Get to that. So for Title IX, you know, he is being treated than other boys. The school says it well, recognizes hey, uh, they, them. The reason as, is that he's not... Uh, uh, he doesn't qualify biologically as a boy. He qualifies uh, 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 mentally as a boy because he identifies there. But uh, we have this uh, uh, stage in which uh, there is a basis for distinction because his physical makeup uh, is distinct. And, of course, Title IX recognizes that, doesn't it? It authorizes the discrimination in the uh, 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 between the sexes in, with respect to bathrooms, locker rooms, showers, uh, and uh, residences on campus, right? Well, I disagree that it authorizes discrimination. 
It authorizes separate. It says treatment. it may provide separate, distinct. In other words, but, that's the that's the exception. I mean, I I don't know if we're going to get into an argument what that means in the statute, but uh, uh, it's pretty clear to me that the statute makes an exception for residences, bathrooms, locker rooms, and uh, and uh, 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 showers, uh, and. Uh, with the idea that uh, men and women, or d different sexes, male and female, uh, will be, uh, uh, the institution can separate them. Uh, there was clearly nothing in the record to suggest that Congress, when it enacted that, was thinking of uh, transgender persons. Now we have this transgender situation, and uh, uh, I want, I'm wondering how we conduct the analysis. Uh, it seems to me, isn't this better for Congress to handle? Because it, it doesn't work, as Chief Justice Roberts uh, noted. Uh, uh, it, it clearly, you try to conduct the analysis, and it, it falls apart because uh, the criteria used in the statute uh, don't fit these facts. Well, Your Honor, I... I the statute unambiguously prohibits discrimination. It allows certain contexts in which sex well, can be Well, how do you define discrimination? You're treating him different from somebody else? It, it, unequal treatment that harms a person. I don't I think I know, but that, when you say unequal, unequal to whom? Other transgenders or other well, boys? So, both. Both, Your Honor. He, well, how can it be other boys? boys? Because he's got female genitalia and he identifies as a male. And the question is, is that a real difference between the, uh, uh, that person and a person who has genitalia of a male and identifies as a male? Well, Your Honor, the school doesn't classify based on genitalia. No, the statute the does. Well, I don't think this, the statute says, all the statute says is you can separate restrooms on the basis of sex. If and have you looked that word up? There's, there's no definition. There is no definition in the dictionaries at the time, and I've been able to not find any in the dictionaries today. In other words, it's all related to the physiological makeup of a human being. And the criteria, uh, uh, you can say what manifests it, but basically uh, sex uh, defined in the statute and gender is defining by male and female. Now, there is this transgender status but my whole point is that Congress didn't address that, and now you're asking us to try to fit uh, this uh, uh, classification into a statute that didn't anticipate it, and uh, we don't know who to be the comparators. Well, Your Honor, I think that what the Supreme Court says in Harris' funeral will be very informative on whether discriminating against someone because they're transgender is discrimination on the basis yeah, of Yeah, I think sex. that's a good point, yes. Assuming that Harris rules our way, I think the question is, how does the statutory prohibition on discrimination interact with the restroom regulation? And now, when Congress wanted to create an exception, it knew how to do it so explicitly. It said the prohibition on discrimination shall not apply to things like vocational schools or uh, father-daughter dances or fraternities and sororities. There's no statutory exception saying the prohibition on discrimination shall not apply to restrooms. You have a regulation that just says you can provide separate restrooms, but it doesn't override the prohibition on discrimination. Except so the statute, ha statute on its face says you can make separate treatment between the sexes for residential facilities. 
facilities, and the regulation extends treats facilities as the bedrooms, the bathrooms, the locker rooms, and the showers. But I think that supports my argument because the statutory provision on facilities does not say that the prohibition on discrimination shall not apply. And when Congress uses, I'm sorry. I have Judge a quick question. In, in, in order for you to prevail, I think you, you're going to have to. It's going to be have to have to be analyzed under heightened scrutiny. So tell me how you get there. So for the equal protection claims, I think there's two different reasons why. Uh, this discrimination is high in scrutiny. The first is that, you know, as the court in MAB and the Ninth Circuit in Karnofsky recognize, discriminating against someone because they're transgender satisfies all the criteria the Supreme Court looks to when evaluating something for height and scrutiny. Uh, transgender people um, have a history of discrimination. Uh, being transgender doesn't affect one's ability to contribute. Being transgender marks you out for different treatment. And, uh, I think the, the history of the past four years shows that transgender people are politically powerless and vulnerable group. In addition, uh, this is plainly discrimination based on gender, and we've been focusing a lot on the meaning of sex under Title IX and Title VII. When we're interpreting the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause doesn't mention sex. So this isn't the same sort of statutory interpretation analysis. This is about discrimination based on gender, which is the term the Supreme Court has used um, since after Frontiero. So I think that it is inherently built on a gender classification. And in addition to that, it is structured in a way that singles out Gavin for different treatment uh, because um, for, from everyone else. You can either con construe it as different treatment from other boys because he doesn't conform to the school's expectations of who should be a boy, despite the fact that Virginia law recognizes him fully as a boy, despite the fact that he uses male restrooms everywhere he goes, including in this courthouse, I think the dispositive realities on the ground is that everywhere Gavin goes, except for Gloucester High School, he is recognized a boy, interacts with the world as a boy, uses men's restrooms without any incident. But when he walks through the doors of Gloucester High School, and only in Gloucester High School, he was singled out from the pack told you are different from other boys based on this biological gender criteria, which is a moving target. Uh, Mr. Corrigan here said genitals controls. The 30B6 witness said the opposite. The 30B6 said that, said that even if someone had had uh, genital surgery at age 18, the school still wouldn't recognize them uh, consistently with their identity uh, unless they had a birth certificate also. Um, in addition, uh, the school, the 30B6 witness admits that a student could register at Gloucester and if they already had a, a, gender, a gender marker change on their birth certificate, they would be able to use the restrooms consistent with their identity. Now, so, counsel... So, so, the, so, the, so the conundrum of a case like this is when we start with the basic things, we all, a lot of it is hard not to come to the table with what you kind of intuitively know. They, uh, we, we've always recognized, uh, at least in earlier days, uh, the forced belief that man should either be woman or, or man and that gender should correspond to one or the other. And those who are different have been treated differently. Uh, that's historically true. And, and as we begin to import that into the Title IX concept, uh, for us to fully understand and for, I mean, we can, we can, we can lapse into this whole discussion, well, how are you going to, I mean, you, you can have those kind of uh, discussions all day long, the, the factual thing, well, they're just different. You've you got to send them somewhere different. How, you treat them, what's wrong with that? 
And, and that has an appeal except not to the law uh, because the law under Title IX deals with sex. And, and when you're dealing with Price Waterhouse, the question then become is how do you just limit the definition of sex just to physical characteristics? And Price Waterhouse does not do that. Uh, and neither does uh, Title VII. It allows for discrimination but, uh, based upon sex, but it doesn't require it. And the Supreme Court has even said in itself that legislative intent, you know, in terms of the original legislative intent, is not is not a controlling weight rate in these cases. I mean, that was true in the, in, the, in the Article case and in, in you know same sex type cases. That 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 case. So I think what we are dealing with here is really a fundamental determination of what does the term sex mean uh, in the context of Title IX, and does it go beyond the construction that's in Price Waterhouse? Uh, you know, if, if we can move our minds to the legal issues away from the, 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 the factual and historical biases that we probably all bring to the table. I, no, no one doesn't bring that to the table. I know that, uh, and I believe that. Uh, but we're in a different place, and we're dealing with someone who, like Grimm, who in 2020 has the availability of hormone therapy, double mastectomy, presents himself in a male, as a male in every way, diagnosed with a mental condition, and it is probably uh, a fact that he has demonstrated gender identity. Uh, and I submit I'm not sure that I'm not sure gender identity hasn't always been it. I don't know of anyone outside of a birth certificate, I'm not sure you even looked at that, has ever physically examined someone going into a restroom to determine does he possess the physical characteristics. Uh, the physical characteristics go beyond the possession of the genital, uh, genitalia, uh, which it's just a reality. If someone looks like a male, no one questions that person from going into a male's room. If someone looks like a female, no one does that unless it becomes apparent there's something that looks like it's not there. Uh, so I'm, you know, in, in terms of the law in, in Title IX, it really comes down to how we look at the word sex. And, and when we look at it in the context of Price Waterhouse, the question becomes, is it limited to physical characteristics? Or is it in a situation as Grimm here, who has demonstrated by all of these different uh, medical procedures and his own psychological identity uh, that it's a gender identity thing, and that becomes the basis for discrimination? I, I think that's exactly right, uh, Your Honor. But I, I also think that I, I just want to, I don't want to concede that the school's policy is based on even a uniform set of characteristics. The school is unable to generalize whatever its rule is to anyone besides Gavin. So if you ask, well, what about this other person who might not have typically male genitalia? The school says, oh, I have no idea how it would apply to that person. What about this other person whose uh, birth certificate is different than uh, you know, their, their sex assigned at birth? In, in every single case, the school keeps coming back to saying, I only have a sample set of one. The only person I know about is Gavin, and the only context in which this comes up is transgender people. So well, well, the they problem, try to make the, this the, a the, the trouble. The trouble with a case like this has to do with you know you do want to you do want to when you're dealing with statute you do want to import the intent of Congress when you think it's ambiguous. But the trouble, of course, is as we approach it, what's difficult for us as judges and those who look at these cases is how do we look at these cases and cast aside. Uh, the difference between the person who was in a meeting when they were having a meeting and who's yelling all these obscenities to him and saying these uh, un unreal things to a person who inherently you kind of feel those things, but you would never say them. Uh, and so I, I think that's kind of where we're going with this case and why this is a difficult case for us right now 
is because there is that tension between uh, what we all have come to believe is what should happen and the modern reality of there have always been individuals who exhibited different gender identity tendencies outside of what biologically may have been assigned to them. And, and now a modern society begin to recognize that uh, should we treat them differently uh, or should we allow them to, uh, to, I guess, identify with the one in which they identify. Now, now let me ask the other question because this, this is where it gets difficult to me is I want to know how expensive it is. Are there individuals who don't identify with either? So uh, either, yes, either uh, male or female. Uh, yes, um, I think that would be a fundamentally different claim and a fundamentally yes. different injury. Here, Gavin isn't saying he's harmed by the existence of sex-separated restrooms. He's been excluded from the boys' room. All he wants to do is access the existing restrooms. I think. And when you say he, when you say he looks like a, a male, what describe? Can you describe him? I, I don't have any pictures. I, I'm not sure we're permitted, but uh, oh. uh, it, it sounds like you were saying he he, he doesn't he. he He's had a double mastectomy. He's had hormone therapy. He can grow hair, I, I, I presume facial hair. Is yes, that true? Your Honor. Yes, Your So Honor. he looks in every respect like a man. Uh, and, and if I'm understanding the, 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 the government's position, he can't go in the, in the female's room, even though he has female genitalia, can he? Well, I think, I think uh, they say the policy doesn't prohibit him from doing so, but you saw that I don't think my friend was willing to actually go that far. I, I think the argument here is reminiscent of the argument that laws prohibiting same-sex couples from marrying didn't discriminate because anyone, whether gay or straight, could marry someone of a different sex. Uh, you know, the purpose and inevitable effect of this policy was that Gavin would be using a separate restroom. That's expressly what the policy contemplates. It says, you know, be, whereas some students question their gender identities, therefore, um, transgender students will be provided an alternative private facility. Um, Mr. Block, so I, th I thought, uh, I thought uh, Gavin Grimm uh, elected not to go to the women's bathroom. Uh, the, the policy of Gloucester School would be that that's the bathroom that he would go to uh, because of his phys physical makeup. But he elected not to go there. He felt uncomfortable because he uh, identifies as male, but uh, there is uh, he he was under the policy uh, given a classification uh, which he disagreed with, which was uh, we're separating our uh, bathrooms on the basis of physiological sex, and uh, he uh, he basically felt uncomfortable there and wanted to go to the boys, and uh, uh, of course that's. Uh, brought on this lawsuit because uh, the question is whether uh, they have to let him go to the boys based on his choice, based on uh, identification as opposed to physiology. Well, Your Honor, I, I think the assertion that the school says that he's technically allowed to use the girls' room just shows the underlying irrationality of their policy. The policy is supposed to separate, separate students based on physiological sex characteristics, but under the board's policy, a transgender woman with typically female breasts would be going to the men's restroom. And under the board's policy, a transgender boy um, who might, you know, if he had uh, hormone blockers and hormone therapy, might you know, have the same uh, muscle build as a linebacker and facial hair would use the girls' restroom. So the policy only serves its asserted 
um, justifications if the transgender student goes to a separate facilities. If the that, that really makes for a very difficult question. As I recall, the school board did, in fact, allow him to go to the Mayo restroom. And it seems like things were going well until one student made a complaint and followed by some more, which I, which it couldn't have been based upon the characteristics of the person, you know, unless it was the manner to use them, but they had stalls in there. Uh, so one person in this triggers this. And I just really wonder if, if he looks as much male as you describe, it could be a linebacker looking. It would seem to me a lot more females would be complaining than males if a man, if, if someone came in with a beard <laughs> to use the women's restroom. I, I, I'm not understanding, and maybe I'll ask the, 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 the board about that, as to whether he, because he has a female genitalia, would be allowed to continue to use it, notwithstanding his outward male appearance. Um, well, well, Your Honor, I, I think that, you know, the students at the school knew that he previously had been enrolled, you know, with, with this female sex assigned at birth. So this happened to be someone who they knew was transgender. But I think that shows the policy doesn't really turn on physiology. It turns on people's social knowledge of whether someone is transgender or not. It's a little so more board, than that. It's a little more than that because, I mean, this isn't arbitrary. It, uh, uh, the example comes up, and it's, it's, it's a current example we don't have here, but uh, uh, how about a, uh, uh, a woman, uh, a man who identifies as female, and he then goes out and uh, uh, says, I want to uh, compete against the women on the track team. Uh, and uh, uh, that happened up in Connecticut recently, and the, and the transgender woman won the race. Uh, and uh, the, the question is, is the policy of separating physiologically? And then how about the locker rooms where they take showers? Uh, uh, this is in high school, and they're taking showers, and uh, uh, Gavin Grimm comes into the um, men's uh, locker room and takes a shower. Um, don't, isn't there something uh, more than just this uh, arbitrariness that you're claiming? Well, Your Honor, I disagree that people are taking showers in the locker room. At every context in which this has actually been litigated, it has shown that transgender students are using locker rooms without anyone seeing anyone else naked. People are changing T-shirts for gym class, maybe gym shorts, but the facts well, on the ground you are know, very you different. Can... You can construct anything to get by this, but the real question is, how about if you have an open shower? I went to a college where the showers were open. I played college sports. We came afterwards, and we all, everybody saw everybody naked. Now, that still is an existing situation. You can hypothesize away the facts and say there's no criteria because everybody has a cubicle and everybody has a changing room. But that isn't always the case, number one, and that's not part of the policy. The policy is based on the fact that there are some differences that make a difference. And the competition, for instance, uh, of sports is going to be a big debate because uh, now uh, the um, uh, male who uh, grew up to age 14 as a male and now identifies as a female wants to compete with female sports. Uh, everybody knows that there's a problem there. Even the military academies have different standards for males and females in terms of physical push-ups and pull-ups and all these other criteria. So uh, it's, it's not as benign as, as you seem to make it, and any classification is not irrational. 
Well, Your Honor, the fact is that in Virginia, the Virginia High School League has a policy that allows participation on sports teams consistent with your gender identity. But more relevant to here, and Judge Niemeyer is definitely positing some great questions, but those are not the questions before us, nor is the locker room question. This is an as-applied challenge to the restroom part of this policy. We could delve into the possibilities of other things. That's not before us. It's not before the Supreme Court right now. And, you know, while it would be interesting to delve into it, and that's what I mean. Historically, how do we divorce our minds from all the things that we can think of to conjure as to what we traditionally have come to accept is the way things should be done from the reality of modern science? I mean, even in the track instance, if modern science went to the place that it would completely physiologically change a person to a female as though you've never been a male, how would that handle it? I don't know. That's not before us. We're dealing with an as-applied challenge to the restroom part of this policy. And unless we can find there, then we're going to be in never-never land discussing things that could happen all around the world and making sense to a lot of people but not to the law. You can answer that question, then we'll go. We'll move on. Go ahead. Great. All right. Thank you. Well, I completely agree with that, obviously. I do want to say that we actually tried to develop facts about how the policy would apply to locker rooms, and opposing counsel wouldn't let the witness answer the question because the opposing counsel said this is just about restrooms. Any questions about locker rooms are irrelevant. So I think we're not dealing with hypothetical facts. Equal protection depends on the facts on the ground in an individual case. So how someone might be treated in a different situation under different facts, I don't think can control whether this real person in front of the court suffering a real injury with real facts is entitled to a judicial remedy. All right. Thank you, Mr. Block. Mr. Corrigan? Your Honor, I don't have anything else. I'm sure someone might have a question for me, though. Well, I think we've been through it. I would like to have a clarification that under his present situations, you maintain that I'm going to assume he may have a beard. He looks like a man. Let's assume he looks like Deacon Jones used to look in the old days. I can't think of anyone who looks more manly. He would be allowed to go and use the female restroom now? And keep in mind, he still has female genitalia, but everything else looks like a man. You would permit that? So under the policy, the answer is yes, he would be allowed to use the ladies' room. And the Price Waterhouse prevents this school from saying he can't because that would be stereotyping. You look too masculine. We can't let you use the girls' room. You can't have that under the Price Waterhouse analysis. Identity does not have any effect here? Correct. The decision of the school board, and we would argue the statute and the regulations, is based on this binary concept. There are men and there are women when it comes to their genitals, and that's how we distinguish them. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Garrigan. As you know, in the Fourth Circuit, we have the tradition of coming down off the bench and shaking hands. And, yes, we 
spiritually, we shake hands with you. Uh, we appreciate the arguments. They're uh, very helpful, and you both did a wonderful job. Uh, and we wish you well. I hope we return. I made I mocked the situation where maybe this could be a permanent arrangement. I personally uh, very much miss being with counsel in the courtroom and coming down and greeting counsel. And I hope, uh, at least that's my personal hope, that someday we can get back to that. But uh, today, uh, this will have to suffice. Uh, our greetings to you from the Fourth Circuit, and uh, uh, all the best to you both. Thank right, you, Your Honor. We'll, thank, thank you very much. Yeah. We'll uh, proceed to the uh, next case uh, on the agenda. Thank you. So I hope we'll take a brief recess.